0: We are continuing in our study of this New Testament letter the book of James, and today we are at the end of chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 of James, chapter 3, 13 through 18. 18. Listen as I read God's Word. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes, from heaven, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, many of you will maybe be familiar with the Old Testament story of King Solomon. You look back and You see so many stories of Solomon and his reign, but particular one story, there was a couple of women one day who came before King Solomon. You might remember this, particularly those who are mothers, and at that time, these two women lived in the same home together, um, and they both had a child within approximately three days of one another and gave birth, but after the two children were born, soon after they were born, one evening as they were sleeping, one of the children of one of the mothers died in her sleep. And so that mother, being so distraught, actually sought and switched the children so that the mother who had the living child awoke the next day and found a child that was no longer alive. And so these two women brought the living child, remaining before King Solomon, to have him rule, to give his counsel, in essence, his wisdom about who should keep this child. Of course, the mother, looking and knowing this is not my, this is not the child, um, that, uh, that my child, of course, is in this woman's possession. She's taken my child, and so King Solomon gave his wisdom. Remember what he said. He said go ahead and cut the child in two and give each woman half. And of course, the real mother said, no, please, let her take the child, knowing full well that the mother's heart would never want her child's life to be taken, even though she may never have the opportunity to mother her own child. You think about that story, the wisdom of God clearly being given to these two women through Solomon. And then you look at many other places throughout the scriptures about the wisdom of God being displayed, the wisdom of God being given through his leaders and his church, through many different ways and means. God's wisdom is certainly something that is spoken of many times in the scriptures. And God's wisdom is what James this very morning gives us a challenge. He challenges us to understand and to recognize what truly is the wisdom of God versus maybe what, of course, is not truly the wisdom of God, but man's wisdom. And so, he does so in a way that really challenges us to look at God's wisdom, how it affects our earthly relationships with one another, particularly even in the church and with one another, but any relationships, human relationships we have and he does so very clearly. If the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is often considered the book of wisdom in the Old Testament, could have a New Testament counterpart, many would say it might be the book of James, for James speaks about the wisdom of God more than one time. Many times James addresses this subject matter from various, from various very practical positions. At the beginning of the very letter we've already been in the first Two chapters of James, and now in the third, James brings up this subject of God's wisdom at the very beginning of James, and he exhorts each one of his readers to ask for God's wisdom because we need to be asking for God's wisdom. We're all the time in our lives in need of God's perspective, his understanding about what's going on in our lives, so he exhorts us If anyone is in need, ask God for his wisdom. And now in chapter 3 here, James challenges us to seek after God's wisdom so that our earthly relationships, all of our earthly relationships, would benefit, and especially even the church would be blessed because of that wisdom being imparted, being exercised as we receive it from God directly. James spends six verses here describing two kinds of wisdom. Six verses in James chapter 3 describing two kinds of wisdom. First, how man's wisdom kind of diminishes and even sometimes destroys community. And then he talks about how God's wisdom builds up and blesses God's community. And so, he starts out by asking a question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? As soon as he asks the question, he answers it. He asks and then he answers the question. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. As James has already done many, many times already, he's emphasizing in verse 13, in his answer to his own question, he is emphasizing the need for every believer, every follower of Christ, to not just profess to know Christ, not just profess to know God's wisdom, to actually live it out. That when we say, yes, I know the wisdom of God, I've understood God's wisdom, and I do desire it in my life, and I seek to live it out in my life, that we not just say it with mere words, but we actually have our lives displaying that which we profess with our lips. Over and over, we've seen James challenge us to not just give evidence of our spiritual condition in Christ by professing it, but give evidence of our spirituality, our relationship with God by what we do, how we live day-to-day, our day-to-day experiences with one another. So James spends these few verses here giving us that perspective about God's wisdom. In other words, God's wisdom is not merely something we say we possess, but we actually demonstrate this wisdom by how we live in our community. So, let's look at what James first describes to us as man's wisdom, as it diminishes community. Man's wisdom, even as it will diminish true community. Verses 14, 15, and 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, he puts that in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly and spiritual of the devil. <clears throat> For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Twice in these three verses, verse 14 and verse 16, if you look at it closely, twice James characterizes man's wisdom, <clears throat> earthly wisdom. He characterized it with two adjectives, the same two adjectives in both verse 14 and verse 16. What are those two adjectives? You see them written right there. First, bitter envy. Bitter envy. What is bitter envy? Well, bitter envy is not just an over-desire for someone or something from our heart that just craves someone or something in our life. And that over-desire, it certainly is at least that, envy. But it's much more than just an over- desire. It's actually a desire that's rooted in bitterness and resentment because we don't have what we desire so much. You see, it's envy that goes deeper and reaches in the darker places that each of us have that potential to want something so much that we begin to resent, even grow bitter in our life because we don't have what we so much have a desire for. Whether we've ever had what we desire or we've had it in part and we want it more, it's that we never have what we want and envy so much, and that resentment grows. It just grows in the dark crevices of our heart. That's the first characteristic. The second one is selfish ambition. Man's wisdom also is selfish ambition. By itself, though, ambition is not bad. For someone to be ambitious in their life, to have a strong work ethic, to seek to use the gifts and the talents and steward them in a way in which life, they are ambitious in their life towards glorifying God with what he's given them, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. For God has called us to work and to honor him and to give him glory with that which we have the ability to do so. But when that ambition moves from seeking to glorify God, and it moves in the realm of seeking to gain for just ourselves, it becomes inward, it becomes self centered ambition, seeking out one's own advantages. When our ambition is bent on gaining such an advantage for either our, our own self or for a, our family maybe or a group of people that we belong to or any of those perspectives and it's seeking to have the advantage because it gives us what we want, not recognizing or even considering what God desires, that is selfish ambition. And that kind of ambition diminishes community. That kind of ambition destroys true spiritual community. Ambition in the right way builds community as we all work diligently alongside one another in serving the Lord Jesus. But when it becomes inward and we really don't consider others, then it becomes Hurtful, It becomes dangerous for the community that God has given us. As God's children, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, and we are God's children if we have a relationship with Christ, we have not just Christ in us, we have the living Spirit of God in us. We have the Spirit of God in us, and we are called to allow that same Spirit of God that lives in us to influence and inform our thoughts. So as we live every day, the Spirit of God in us should be informing us, teaching us, leading us, guiding us, us, giving us understanding as God's people, as God's children, towards living in a way that would honor God himself. In our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, those things we think of, those things we do, the actions we actually choose to take. And when we choose to do the opposite of what the Holy Spirit living in us would lead us to do, and we go the other direction, then it will hinder the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. It will hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. God does what He wills. We cannot stop God's sovereign work, and yet even Scripture does remind us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Ephesians chapter 4, notice how the apostle describes the way in which we do this. Ephesians 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption Get rid of all bitterness. Interesting how Paul even says the word bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. He says get rid of those things because those are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. When those things are what we are focused on, and those are the actions or intentions of our heart, greed, malice, rage, anger, bitterness, and those things are seated in our heart, at whatever level, then the the ministry of the Spirit is quenched. It is not able in its fullness to move and minister. You know, the 10th commandment is what? Do not covet. The 10th commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Envy is the twin brother of covetousness. Envy is the twin brother of covetousness. And when you allow envy to grow and to fester in your heart, It will leave a bitter taste in your mouth eventually. It will leave a bitter taste in your mouth eventually. In fact, that bitter taste is often even noticeable and made public by the bitter person's words themselves at times. You know, when someone, maybe even, we've struggled with this at some point in our life, when someone is steeped in bitterness and envy in their heart combined with that all-consuming kind of my world's the most important world of all, and I'm looking at what I need before anyone else, then that kind of person will inevitably want others to know how they feel, and they will sow many seeds of discord and have very unwise words and conversations because it will just come out. Their envy, their bitterness, their struggle in their heart will just come out and they will want others to join on their side how they're struggling and want others to agree with them on their perspective. And it just comes out in their words. And what that does is that diminishes, it tears apart community when someone with a bitter envy and ambition for themselves is seeking out to have conversations with others, to bring them into their world and to agree with them. Friday morning, Mr. Zuckerberg woke up, the founder of Facebook. He was a rich guy anyway, I'm sure, even Friday morning before the stock market opened. But on Saturday morning when he woke up, he was $20 billion richer after the opening day of the IPO of Facebook that happened on Friday in the stock exchange, approaching one billion users. Did you hear that? Approaching one billion users, that's one-seventh of the world's population. Get a perspective. One-seventh of the world's population is on Facebook or at least has an account, I guess, somewhere. One-seventh. It's taken the concept of global community to a whole new level. It really has just this medium. You now have, and if you've never been on Facebook, you may not understand what I'm talking about, but if you are, it's a social networking medium on the Internet that can be used to connect with people all over the world. But if you are involved in social networking like Facebook or either other mediums, but particularly That one, which is the most used, you now have knowledge about people that you haven't seen or interacted with for 20 or 30 years or longer. You know, it used to be, and I'm coming up next year on my 30th year high school reunion date next summer, a year from now. It used to be you went to your 30 year high school reunion and you haven't seen those people for 30 years, right? And so what do you do when you get to your high school reunion after 30 years? You kind of see all the people and how everyone's changed in so many ways and you start asking and catching up about you know whether they have kids or family or or what's happening in their life what they've done in their life and just different things and you just kind of find out all this information after you haven't talked to them for 30 years and then you leave after the weekend and you really don't see them maybe for another 10 or 15 or 20 years and he kind of just goes away well for that weekend though you might struggle with a little bit of envy maybe, or a little bit of comparison on who you saw and who you, you know, and who is this and who is that, and, and you kind of do that, but now you, you have Facebook. It's a 20, 24-7 high school reunion. It really is, if you think about it, all the time, any time, day or night, you can find and try to f- connect with someone that you haven't seen or talked to for 20 or 30 or 40 years and begin a whole relationship online, even if they live halfway across the world. You know, with that opportunity can also come opportunity to begin to compare even more from our heart. Have you ever connected with someone on Facebook? I know you've done this. And all of a sudden you start finding out about what's going on. You haven't talked to them 15 or 20 years and you find out what's going on in their life and how amazing of a life they have now. And you're like, huh, I don't have that. Look at everything they've done in their life the past 20 years. And I'm just a dud. I don't I don't have anything compared to what they have. They're so successful. They have all this in their life and I don't have I don't have that. And we can become jealous. We can become envious even to something as simple as Facebook. When you see what's happening or you see someone's timeline or their their page and you see what's going on in their life or what they've done the past year, two, three years, and you start doing comparisons and how quickly our hearts can move to the realm of envy, desire for what they have. And we can even become bitter that we don't have what others have. And we are constantly having those messages before us. Let me ask you, what in your life right now, what in your life right now, has not happened that you've wanted to happen for years? For months? What is it? What's that thing? What ship are you waiting to come, finally come in? What is it? Almost everyone has something. What do you see happening in others' lives around you that you only wished would happen to you? You just wish it would. Maybe a job promotion you've been looking for the past three years. Because the economy, you're you're still banking. It's going to happen. Maybe a a tremendous increase in your bottom line. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a child or a second or third child. Maybe it's better grades in school. If you're in school right now and you really need to get better grades because you want to have a better opportunity in higher education. Maybe it's getting that scholarship right now as you're anticipating college in the next year. Maybe getting aid or help or a grant or some means that you just have to have it or else your life will be worthless. Maybe it's just an opportunity to travel the world. You're at the age now where you just, you know, I've worked hard most of my life. I just want the opportunity to enjoy and travel and just finally kick my feet up. And you know, I can't do that now because of what's happened in my situation of life. All my other friends that are my age are able to do all that, but I can't do that now. And it's not fair. It's not right. And I envy those that can. And in fact, I'm somewhat bitter, if I'm honest, that I'm not able to right. Maybe it's your physical appearance, something about yourself. You've tried to change it, you can't change it. And so, you know, as hard as you try, someone else always has a little bit better. What is it in your life right now that is just constantly feeding you a message that you need that to be happy, to be satisfied, to have rest and peace in your life? What is that message? You know, man's wisdom that James speaks about promotes envy, self-centered ambition, and it breeds strife. It breeds disharmony in our life. And that strife diminishes and even sometimes destroys the very community that we are blessed with that God gives for us to grow and to flourish in. Dan Allender, in a book, Bold Love, says these words, To the degree that this life holds the possibility of getting something, we will labor and flounder to achieve what only heaven can offer. On the other hand, to the degree that his life is viewed as a place of pilgrimage, a place where it is never honorable or right to build a lasting foundation, I am released to live and love through seeing my life used to advance your progress and joy in Christ. What he's saying there is this. When we look at life as always just the possibility of getting something else, if that's how we view our life, in other words, you're exhausted because you're always looking for the next thing you're looking for to get and receive in this world from this life. If that's that's how we live, then you're going to labor and you're going to keep laboring and laboring because guess what? You will never be satisfied. However, if we view this world and our life in light of God's love for us as not the receptacle, the place where we stop, but it's merely a place of pilgrimage where we are passing through, and the place that we're headed is really the only satisfying place, and God is the only satisfying one, then our heart changes completely. Our perspective changes completely, and we understand that it isn't about what we get and what we obtain and what we achieve in this life. It's about what he has achieved, he has completed, he has finished for us, for all eternity, this life and the next. That's where we find rest. That's where we will find peace. And that's where God's love is at its very essence for us. So, James clearly describes man's wisdom, how it diminishes community. But then now, James describes God's wisdom as it builds community. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. He uses several adjectives in this one verse, verse 17, and how that wisdom from heaven looks. What is it really? He breaks it down with these adjectives and describes it. First of all, he says, it's first of all, pure. God's wisdom is first of all, pure. It's pure. What is pure as James describes it? Well, heavenly wisdom that is pure, it's pure because God himself is pure. And the source of God's wisdom, of course, God himself, he's pure. He's absolutely righteous and holy and pure. So his wisdom will be just that. You see, God's wisdom, it's not influenced. It's not corrupted by anything on the outside. It cannot be. It is holy and perfectly pure in itself, and it needs nothing from outside of himself. God's wisdom needs nothing, and nor can it be infiltrated, can it be corrupted by anyone or anything on the outside. So first of all, it's pure. It's also peace-loving. Those who receive God's wisdom are lovers of peace. Lovers of peace in all our relationships, and seek to have peace in our earthly relationships. Let me ask you: Are there relationships right now in your life that are not peaceful? They're not peaceful. I mentioned last week that my grand, final surviving living grandmother passed away, and uh, we're going to be having a memorial service this summer. When we go on vacation in July. Well, here's, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. You see, I'm not sure seven or eight years ago, give or take, there was a falling out in our family. I have a very small family. I have one cousin, one. The other one died at age 27. I have one aunt. One. there was a falling out between my parents and the other side of the family haven't spoken in years this summer when I lead this service will be the first time I would have seen them probably in 7 or 8 years one of those made for TV movies it's really going to be that way when I see them haven't seen them because of what happened between my parents and them. I'm not sure how it's all going to go down, but I'm going to be there and an opportunity for God's wisdom to be applied is going to be there to share God's perspective and to allow maybe for God's very spirit to provide healing or reconciliation. You see, None of us are immune from those kind of situations that go on in our families and in our situations of life, whether at work or wherever we are. We all have an opportunity for God's wisdom to be used and applied. Hebrews chapter 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God calls us to be lovers of peace. That we can be those who are reconcilers with each other. But he also says, James does, that man's or that God's wisdom is also considerate. What does that mean? Well, practicing God's wisdom will always take others' needs into consideration first rather than our own. Puts one's own desires aside. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We should be considerate. When we have God's wisdom on the situation, we can be considerate of those around us. But also, he says, wisdom from God, from heaven, is submissive, meaning possessing heavenly wisdom requires us, who have God's wisdom, to have an open heart, to have a heart that's willing to learn to receive from others, to listen and to learn from those around us, to yield our personal preferences in deference to others and their desires and their situations. That is being submissive. Ephesians five twenty-one says, Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. James goes on and describes heavenly wisdom as full of mercy and good fruit. When you have God's wisdom, you will see others' less fortunate circumstances, and you will have compassion and mercy for them. You will have a heart of compassion when you understand God's wisdom in your own life. Full of mercy and being a merciful follower of Christ but also impartial and sincere, James describes God's wisdom. Earlier in chapter 2 of James, he reminds us not to discriminate. Remember back in chapter 2? And to not show bias towards someone because of their economic situation or stage of situation of life, whatever they're in, to not show bias or to show uh, discrimination against them. And he challenges us not to have someone's differences from ourselves cause us to separate or to disdain or even ignore or turn away from those relationships. Instead, godly wisdom seeks to remove all barriers in our relationships. You see, that's what the gospel does it removes all the barriers in our relationships while seeking integrity in those same relationships. James gives these adjectives as descriptions. He takes the characteristics and he says that heavenly wisdom through these very practical descriptions will build community. He states a principle in verse 18. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What's James saying? Well, besides the exact words that when we sow seeds of peace, we'll see a fruit of righteousness. He's also stating a principle of very spiritual Truth. If we sow seeds of God's wisdom in any manner or form, and we do so faithfully and in the community that we live in, we will see growth and we will see that community flourish. And it will be blessed because of those seeds being sown of the wisdom of God. But you know what? just trying to take the principle of sowing seeds and so forth of this wisdom of God, that really, there's, it's, not, it's not where the power really is. Certainly it's important to do so, but the power that changes community, the power that truly sees the wisdom of God become more than just mere words, it only comes through the very presence of God's Son who is the very wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians says this, chapter 1, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Christ Jesus is and has become for us the wisdom from God. Christ is God's wisdom. The gospel is, in Christ, the very wisdom of God that we receive. We believe in him. And as we express faith and we believe, when we put our trust wholly in him, then the wisdom of God becomes very clear to us. And the reality of God's wisdom in every area of your life will be clearly in the light of that wisdom. And we'll see things with a whole new set of eyes. We'll hear things with a whole new set of ears. And we'll understand God's wisdom with understanding like we've never had before. That's the wisdom of God that Christ changes us, everything about our being. Christ is the most profound and life-giving wisdom from God. He is the only wisdom from God that we could ever receive. He is the wisdom of God. Believing and receiving on Him is often viewed as foolishness to the world. They think it's foolishness Believe it or not, many people who live next door to you, work with you, they think you're foolish for being here this very hour on Sunday. They think you're foolish, to be honest, 100% as best you can on your taxes that you report every year. They do. I know they do. They think it is foolish for you to live your life in such a way that would honor Christ. To them, maybe a myth, maybe a fable, maybe a good story, but they think it be even a crutch in your life. And yet, we know that it is the very wisdom of God that He's given us understanding and that our complete being rests and trusts in Him. We have nothing else. We are completely helpless without His grace and forgiveness. For us who depend on Christ's finished, complete work to be our righteousness, there is no greater wisdom that we can obtain.